Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi haqqa hamdihi wa salatu wa salamu ala muhammadin rasulihi wa abdih wa ala alihi wa ashabihi min ba'dihi. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to our class, The Beginning of Guidance by Imam al-Ghazali. May Allah raise his rank and benefit us by him in both abodes, inshallah. And also our commentary, inshallah, which we will be reading in detail from today by Imam al-Jawi. Uh, may Allah raise his rank too, inshallah, and may we be guided by those who themselves were rightly guided, and inshallah, may our feet be as firmly planted on the Siratul Mustaqim as their feet were, and inshallah, may our seeking knowledge be a shahid, a witness for us and not against us, inshallah. Uh, welcome back and uh, thank you for joining us today. Inshallah, whatever efforts you are making to seek knowledge for the sake of Allah, then you will be uh, most suitably and appropriately rewarded for it, both in the dunya and the akhirah, inshallah. Okay, we'll start with our intention, um, as is our usual practice. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. نويت تعلم والتعليم والتذكر والتذكير والنفع والانتفاع والإفادة والاستفادة والحث على تمسك بكتاب الله وسنة رسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم والدعاء إلى الهدى والدلالة على الخير ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وكربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى Okay, we're actually finishing this section today uh, on the transgressions of the limbs and on guarding against them. So of the seven that Imam Ghazali mentions in this book, we are on our final two, uh, which are the hands and the feet. And then afterwards, he goes into a bit of a discussion, concluding statements, concluding remarks uh, about the outward forms of transgression and um, in his uh, usual and inimitable style, drawing our attention to the asrar, to the secrets, the spiritual secrets that are contained in these practices and in this knowledge. Uh, so inshallah, the, the commentary uh, for this last section too is, uh, is very beautiful and I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you um, as we go through this lesson inshallah. Okay, first of all, the transgressions of the hands and Imam Ghazali says Bismillahirrahmanirrahim wa ammal yadain so as for the two hands fahfadhuma an an tadriba bihima musliman aw tatanawala bihima malan harama aw tu'di bihima ahadan min al-khalq aw takhuna bihima amanatan aw wadi'a aw taktuba bihima ma la yajuzu nutku bih فَإِنَّ الْقَلَمَ أَحَدُ الْلِسَانَيْنِ فَاحْفَظَ الْقَلَمَ عَمَّا يَجِبُ حِفْظُ لِسَانِ عَنْهُ Okay, so our translation for that is Guard the hands from beating a Muslim, from receiving wealth which is acquired by forbidden means, oh sorry, it should be from harming any creature, from betraying a trust or deposit, and from writing words, the utterance of which is not made permissible by Islamic religious laws. The pen is one of man's two tongues, so guard it from the things from which you also guard the tongue. And that's one of our major points um, in this day and age. 
So let's look at what Imam Ujawi says about that. And so when it comes to um, guarding your hand from beating or hitting another Muslim, then he says that also includes a dhimmi. So that would be a Christian or a Jew or somebody who is under the protection of Muslims. Uh, so if it is clearly that Muslims and those under the protection of Muslims um, are in the category of whom it is most impermissible to assault, then imagine how it would be if you actually went and killed those people. Okay, so we can try and think about the graveness and seriousness of the taking of other people's lives in any context without there being any uh, Sharia reference for that. So um, that needs to be considered when we look at global events and how people uh, might try and justify those things according to religious texts, but of course their interpretation is completely invalid and wrong. So just as it's impermissible to strike another Muslim or someone under the protection of Muslims um, in any way, it's also specifically mentioned that it's prohibited to strike a person in their face and also it's impermissible to strike an animal in its face. So if somebody has a stubborn donkey or a horse or um, anything like that, you can't hit that animal in the face as a punishment or as a means of venting your anger. And the reason for that is because the face is the most noble part of the body. And that's why we put our face down in sujood. So when we prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we put out the highest and most noble part of our body in the lowest possible position, which is on the floor. Um, and that's an, an indication and the physical manifestation of the submission of our limbs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also the um, the submission of our hearts and so inshallah we ask Allah to to make us of those whose hearts are in a constant state of sujood of prostration and submission inshallah and we ask him to never allow our hearts to stand up just as we have to stand up and go into the next movement of our prayer and get on with our life but our hearts inshallah we want to remain in that state of sujood um, as we've mentioned, obviously, then that the direct uh, killing of somebody um, is also impermissible. And just as it is by doing something like uh, a trick in order to kill someone, so building, a, a putting a hole in the ground or something like that, where you might end up uh, killing somebody uh, indirectly because of a trap or of something that you have placed in their way with the intention of harming them. And there's a hadith here where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has said, Which means that if the people of the heavens and the earth all join together in the blood of a believer, so meaning in the, the killing of a believer, then Allah would throw them on their faces in the fire. And also there's another hadith where he said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that um, anybody who shares in the killing of a believer by half a word will have um, uh, ta'is, like the one who's been left and destroyed, written on his forehead on the day of judgment. That's by using half a word to kill somebody or to direct to that action, let alone if you actually committed that with your hands. 
Also, of course, it's prohibited to consume any uh, haram money or wealth, um, and that would include uh, dishonesty in the measurements and the scales. So we have Suratul Mutafifin in Juzamma, uh, where that's clearly mentioned, uh, whereby people will play with the scales and end up stealing from people by selling them less for more money. Also includes consuming the wealth of orphans, um, and any type of uh, stealing or betrayal or treachery which might occur in you taking something which is not yours um, or and also harming anybody or anything in the creation and uh, betraying the trusts and the deposits that have been placed in your care. So Imam Ujawi here distinguishes between the two and he says that a trust is something that has been put into the protection and care of somebody who has been designated as a trustee. So that's someone who actually has the status and position um, of being someone that people leave their goods and their assets or whatever they have with. Whereas a deposit is when you, an ordinary person, just happen to have something that somebody has left with you in your care. So that's the difference between the two words. And then we get to this major point here about the pen. Now the pen and our thumbs, or if you're like me, an old-fashioned and can only type on a phone with one finger, um, that becomes our pen, okay? So whatever instrument we use to express ourselves in any written form, uh, that becomes like another tongue for us, as Imam Ghazali has said. The pen is one of man's two tongues. So be very, very careful to guard it from the things from which you would guard your own tongue that you literally speak with. And he mentions a, a poetry line here. Every person who writes will die. And what will remain forever is what his hand has written. So don't write with your hand anything that would not please you on the day of judgment to see or to see again. So this is how the poetry is used to encapsulate um, these great meanings as well. And one of the things that we need to remember too with regards to this particular uh, line of poetry is uh, what we leave behind as a, as a footprint on social media. And you would have noticed when you set up your Facebook account, um, it asks you what would you like to have done with your account after you die. Because there are people who, are, who have died and left their accounts there which remain forever, I guess until Facebook closes at one day, um, with every single thing that they've posted there as if that person is alive. And there are people who have uh, subscriptions to things which remain open and, and, and they just continue to take money from that person's bank account or whatever is the situation. So we don't know when our time will come, but we have to realize that what we're leaving behind on social media is going to be a witness for us just as what we leave behind on paper or anywhere else. So this, this is what Imam Ghazali is uh, calling us to. Okay, so the second one is guarding against the transgressions of the feet. Wa amma rijalan, 
So the rigel is the foot or the leg. They often use rigel to mean that as well. And a rajul, which is the word for man, indicates that this is a creature which walks on legs. So there's a linguistic link there between rajul, like a two-legged walking creature, and rigel, which is the limb that you walk with. So Imam Ghazali says, فَحْفَظْهُمَا عَنْ أَنْ تَمْشِ بِهِمَا إِلَى حَرَامٍ أو تسعى بهما إلى باب سلطان ظالم فالمشي إلى السلاطين الظلمة من غير ضرورة وإرهاق معصية كبيرة فإنه تواضع لهم وإكرام لهم على ظلمهم وقد أمر الله تعالى بالإعراض عنهم في قوله تعالى بسم الرحمن الرحيم ولا تركنوا إلى الذين ظلموا فتمسكم النار وَهُوَ تَكْثِيرٌ لِسَوَادِهِمْ وَإِنْ كَانَ ذَلِكَ لِسَبَبِ طَلَبِ مَالِهِمْ فَهُوَ سَعْيٌ إِلَى حَرَامٌ وَقَدْ قَالَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مَنْ تَوَاضُعَ لِغَنِيٍ صَالِهٍ لِغِنَاهُ ذَهَبَ ثُلُثَ دِينِهِ وَهَذَا فِي غَنِيٍ صَالِهٍ فَمَا ظَنُّكَ بِالْغَنِيِ الطَّالِمٍ from going to forbidden places and from using them to go to an oppressive ruler. So Imam Ujawi says about that, that using your feet to go to Haram would include walking anywhere where you would engage in something like backbiting, for example, because that's Haram, or a tajassus. So tajassus awrat in muslimin. Tajassus means spying on people. So if you would go to eavesdrop or to go and check out what's going on with the neighbors over there or anything that's not your business and that would expose other people's private affairs, uh, that's uh, considered uh, unlawful and would be unlawful for you to use your feet in order to go to that. Um, and then he says here uh, that if you, it's forbidden for you to use them to go to an oppressive ruler and what that means is that if you go to an oppressive ruler pleased with their oppression so you go to them not out of wanting to give them counsel or uh, to speak to them and try and improve them or any way but you actually go there and you're happy with what they're doing and Imam Ujawi tells us that that's what Ibn Hajar says and then he says that going to oppressive rulers without any necessity or compulsion is a major sin uh, because it means humbling oneself before them and honoring them in their sinfulness. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded us to stay away from them. So that's clear. He doesn't really expand on that very much except with the particular ayah that's mentioned and he says, وَلَا تَرْكَنُوا um, so he says here that tarkanu means that don't incline towards them and don't be at peace in your heart towards what they are doing uh, because the nar is what will um, take them or overwhelm and the fire will possess them and overcome them. So there are many things we can say about that and we will mention that in a moment. Um, after we just look at this comment here where Imam Ghazali says that by doing that it serves to increase their rank 
So by you going to an unjust ruler, you're actually validating their uh, oppressiveness and you're looking as though you are uh, contributing to their status in society by honoring them with your visit. And also what it does is it increases their numbers, okay? Because the more people that go to them, the more support it looks like that they have and that it uh, supports their transgression if you go to them. And so uh, what we have to look at here is not just look at this from a historical point of view and say, oh, okay, well, you know, a thousand years ago, that's what people used to do. And he's referring particularly to the scholars. So the scholars would go to the rulers and a life of scholarship is not one that's usually a very wealthy one. So scholars are those, unless they have a patron who supports them to produce work, um, or unless they are paid through the Beitul Ma, which is the state uh, treasury in order to be teachers and scholars, then they're usually not going to earn very much for their livelihood, which is teaching and producing scholarly works and books. So what can be the temptation of the scholar is to go to a ruler and to write very flattering poetry and uh, have them uh, honor you by payment of uh, wealth and status and having you in the court all the time and things like that. So if we just look at that from a historical point of view, then we'll actually miss the point that Imam al-Ghazali is making that is most relevant to us today. And that is that any mixing of deen, of Islam, of religion and politics is a bad mix, okay? Because the religious person or the person who is seeking to gain some type of religious advantage through mixing with politicians and political systems which which we know are not founded on any of the Islamic principles or coming from any part of the Islamic worldview, that to do this ultimately means in the destruction of your deen, which means what the destruction of your faith. And this is really important because the time we live in where Muslims are under a lot of pressure and there's the pressure that Muslim minorities have in non-Muslim countries. And so the pressure there to become politicized is very, very large because there's quite a movement now which is uh, pressurizing Muslims into becoming um, people of democracy or people who are there to serve the democratic process and with the goal to that um, producing a better state for Muslims in those countries, so a better way of being, more acceptance. Um, and actually uh, voicing and being able to voice and be in positions of political power, which would, of course, be thought to um, be advantageous to Muslim communities because once you have representatives, for example, in the mainstream political system, then you're able to influence policy, etc., and bring about good things for Muslims. So that's the theory, okay? And as to how that actually translates into results uh, is... Uh, yet to be seen and most likely not going to translate into the results that it promises. And the reason for that is because once Muslims go into mixing these political systems and mixing power with their religion, then they lose their religion. Islam becomes watered down. Islam becomes merely a name or an identity label and the whole um, essence and the whole structure and the whole very being Muslim becomes subordinate to 
the way in which a person is meant to act in these political roles and in those political systems. So this is what the main point is for us to take away from here, okay, that we don't sell out our religion for a short-term political process or a short-term political gain. And in fact, what we should be doing is preserving our religion, our values, particularly to do with family, our values to do with akhlaq, with character, and making sure that whatever is the political moment or movement of the day, that we are firm and maintain the fact that we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we follow the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and we know that we're going to the akhirah and that our job here is to work for that rather than to work for any short-term political gain. So inshallah, I mean, I've only touched on that topic, uh, but just as introductory sort of comments um, and to present a more grounded view on politics and Muslims in politics then inshallah I would hope that that's enough to kind of open that door and enable further discussion on that in another time and place inshallah. So then Imam Ghazali goes on and he says that if going to Muslims, so remember using your feet, so going to oppressive rulers, sorry, if it's done to seek their wealth, then it is aspiring to that which is forbidden, okay, because you're going to get something which you have no right to. And the Prophet said, two-thirds of a person's faith leaves him if he humbles himself to a righteous, wealthy person to gain from his wealth. And then he says, and he asks a rhetorical question, and he says, if this statement applies to a righteous, wealthy person, then what do you think of it then with regards to an unjust, wealthy person? So Imam Ujawi explains, what does it mean that you, when you lose two-thirds of your deen? And he says, you lose two-thirds of your adab, okay? You lose two-thirds of your akhlaq, of your character, of your behavior, of your good manners, of your noble attributes by humbling yourself to somebody for the sake of their wealth. And he says that those two thirds, sorry, that the, the three thirds are composed of um, adab, so your behavior, your etiquette towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your adab with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and your adab with the rest of the people. So when you lower yourself in humbleness towards those uh, who have wealth, then you lose the first two of those three. You lose your adab with Allah and you lose your adab with the Prophet ﷺ, but you maintain your adab with people because obviously you're going there all humble and grovelly and all the rest of it and uh, people will think you're great. So you don't really lose much when it comes to people, even though you do because they might treat you with disdain and think you're just a gold digger and the rest. But what you're really doing is destroying your connection with Allah. Why? Because now you've cut off your relying on dua. You've cut off your relying and your tawakkul. Okay? And, and you've forgotten that Allah is ar-razaq and that he's the one who gives and not people. And of course, you've gone against what the Prophet ﷺ has said. So you've cut off and lost your adab with him. Okay, so we go now to the concluding statements, which I've put the Arabic there for the sake of the slides, although we don't really have time 
to read that as well. So we will just read this because it's a little bit long uh, from the translation. Um, and so he says here, so this is the conclusion now, that in general, the movement and stillness of the parts of your body are among the bounties of God of Allah to you. So never move any of these members in disobedience to Allah, but employ them in obeying him. Know that if you fall short of doing this, the evil consequences will come back upon yourself. If you are diligent in acts of devotion, the good consequences of your diligence will come back to you. God is independent of you and your action. And beware of saying, God is generous, ever merciful. He forgives the sins of the disobedient. Imam Ghazali says, yes, this is a true statement, but what is meant by it in this context is false. And the person who repeats it is said to be dubbed a fool. According to the definition of the Messenger of Allah, when he said, the intelligent one is he who takes account of himself and works for that which is after death. The fool is the one who follows his passions and desires while entertaining false hopes in God. So Imam Mujawi tells us first of all uh, that a person needs to use their limbs first and foremost in gratefulness and shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the way that you do that is using them in obedience and I think we have covered that in some of our previous lessons as well. So the way that we thank Allah for the blessings that he has given us is to use this vehicle of ours, this body of ours, in a way which is obedient to his commands, leaving that which he has prohibited, and um, and that's how we show shukr, gratefulness, for the blessings that he has given us. So when it comes to falling short, or if you fail to do this, or if you fall short in doing this, then he says here, so he says that you have to realize the the shidda, so the severity of your taqsir, of your negligence, okay, and that you need to literally roll up your sleeves, so strive um, as fast as you can to remedy that situation for yourself, and if you do that, then all the benefits of performing the best of what you can with this physical body that you have will come back to you and and you will you will feel that you will know that um that what you have done in terms of expending your energy and your time and your effort will all come to you in blessings will come to you in rizq and will come to you in ways that you may never have imagined and also that if you don't do that then the negativity of that will come back to you and you'll find you don't have tawfiq you don't have divine grace um, in the matters that you've expended your energy in because you have expended it doing the wrong thing. So you won't benefit from what you've actually done. And he says, well, So indeed, for every person is what they have earned. Um, and Okay, so what it is that you have earned in this life will be stored and kept for you for the day of judgment. So you will see the consequences of that there as well. And Imam Ujawi tells us that kasabat, what your nafs has earned, so the kasab is through two aspects. One is what you did, so how you employed 
your limbs, how you employed your physical body, and also what you didn't do with your physical body, which is what you bore patiently. So it's your action, your choice to act, and your choice to not act. So both of those are equally a part of what you earn. Um, and often it's more difficult on the nafs to not do something than it is to do something, to hold yourself back. And we covered that a little bit last week when we looked at what are the scrupulousness. So when it comes here to the person's statement that... Um, that a person thinks that, okay, I can say that God is generous and merciful and he forgives disobe the disobedient. This is true, but the context is wrong. And Imam Jawi, he quotes from Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah, one of the great tabi'in, and he said that, Talabul jannah bila amalin dhambun min So seeking jannah without any action is a sin from the sin. So it's a type of sin and so a person needs to wake up every day with the intention to do something good a person needs to realize that what they will reap here and in the next life is only by what they are seeking to put into action and what they are given the tawfiq to do so if you want the best here and there then inshallah you have to strive for it so by saying that Allah is generous and ever, ever merciful and he forgives the sins, yes, that's right. However, what are you doing about that? So Islam is not just about believing in that statement, although that statement is true, but it's actually about acting upon that statement. And so when the Prophet ﷺ mentions that al-kayis, so the person who is aqil who has his intellect intact and a sound intellect so he's the one who lowers himself okay meaning that he lowers his nafsul amarati bisu his lowest self and his nafsul lawama his rebuking self so he seeks to overcome the lower aspects of himself and he works for what is after death um, and he does that by different uh, acts of obedience and that the fool, the stupid one man nafsahu hawaha. so the, the person who follows their passions and desires and that he hopes for Allah that he will be safe um, from his sin and from what he fell into from following his desire so the thing is that where do those thoughts come from? And for a person to think the wrong or to think the right thing but in such a wrong way is really something in you, where you can say the ba'ith. So the thought that comes to him is something which comes from shaitan. So this is really a shaitani thought, okay, that um, oh, I know Allah is all forgiving so I can just do what I want and he'll forgive me. Whereas a person who has a thought that I know Allah is all forgiving and it's up to me to act on his command and it's up to me to be the best person that I can be, this is something that comes from a person's faith, from their iman, something that comes from their fitra, where they know that they are here 
not just to believe in that but to actually act on that and this is something divine which they then become blessed with not only that knowledge but that understanding of how to act on that knowledge um, in the best possible way so Imam Ujawi also tells us that the people who think like that are actually believing in a lie and he says here um, I have to read my writing oh yes so again he quotes Al-Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah and he says that there are people who are deceived by being safe um, through the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to such an extent that they leave this dunya mafalis, muflis, okay, mafalis is a plural, which means that they leave bankrupt. So they leave without any deeds whatsoever. hasana. So they don't have any good deeds. So one of them says, oh, I, I had husnudan of Allah. I had the best opinion of Allah that he would forgive me without having done anything to acquire that and he says that this is the lie okay and he says because if he really did have the highest and the best opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then he would have performed the best deeds for his sake for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the difference there. And that shows a person who acts with sound intelligence and intellect and the person who acts on their passions and desires and at the end uh, makes a fool of themselves and humiliates themselves. And why is this also important? Because ad-dunya mazra'atul akhirah. So the dunya is the place where we work and the akhirah is the place where we really reap the rewards of that. And it's sort of easy too um, in order to act on that because a person protects himself from falling into this wrong way of thinking by easy deeds. So easy things to do, the easiest of all is dhikrullah, is to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is also the greatest protection and that keeps you connected all the time. So to say astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, la ilaha illallah subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, this is so easy for us to do that. And so there's nothing that should allow us to fall into this uh, wrong way of thinking when we have so many ways that we can avoid it, inshallah. Okay. Uh, then, okay. Then Imam Ghazali goes on and says, know that your statement that God is generous and forgives sins is like the following statement of a man who wants to be learned in religious sciences but spends his time in frivolous activities all the while saying god is generous ever merciful able to fill my mind with some of that knowledge with which he filled the minds of his prophets and saints but without any effort revision or taking any notes from it so the picture i have there is an old manuscript of idhar uh, al-asra which is a Arabic grammar book by Al-Birkawi who was a, a great Ottoman uh, Turkish scholar um, he also wrote a book on uh, menstruation which has been translated menstruation in the Hanafi Madhab um, Sister Hidayah Hartford she translated that many years ago and teaches that and there are many people they've trained to teach that so that's the same scholar but the point of putting it there is to show you 
how classical knowledge was learnt. So to think that somebody can just come along and amazingly absorb that without any effort is clearly something which is ridiculous. Imam Jawi here tells us that Yahya bin Mu'adh, who's one of the great Arifin, that he said, min a'dhamil iqtirar, indi, so of the greatest forms of delusion that he thinks there is, is at-tamadi min ad-dhunubi ala raja'il afwi min ghayri nadama. So it's, it's being daring in sins um, with the hope of forgiveness and being overlooked without any regret. Okay, so, and he says, And expecting that you're going to gain closeness and proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without any acts of obedience. Uh, and uh, thinking that uh, waiting for uh, cultivation of paradise or something that would grow in paradise for you by planting a seed of fire. So doing an act which is clearly an act of sinfulness or disobedience and thinking that somehow you're planting for yourself with that something in the Jannah. And seeking the final abode of the obedient with disobedience. And waiting for great rewards without any action. And hoping for what is with Allah. He says here that this is being put in a poetry form where the poet says, تَرْجُنْ نَجَاتَ وَلَمْ تَسْلُكْ مَسَالِكِهَا إِنَّ السَّفِينَةَ لَا تَجْرِي عَلَى الْيَبَسِي Which means that you hope for salvation, but you haven't trod its paths. Indeed, a ship doesn't sail on dry ground. And also this reminds us that we need to take advantage of five before five, as the hadith from the Prophet ﷺ reminds us. So he says that, take advantage of five before five, of your life before death, of youth before old age, of health before sickness, of wealth before poverty, and of your free time before you become busy. So if we remember those, inshallah, then that should keep us moving forward on a good path and protect us, inshallah, from falling into mistaken ways of thinking. Then he also says that your statement, like the one who wants to be learned without putting any effort in, is also like the statement of a man or a person who wants wealth, yet does not engage in the cultivation of land or commerce or any other way of earning wealth and remains without employment, yet says, Oh, God is generous, ever merciful, and to him belong the treasuries of the heavens and the earth. He is able to make me aware of some treasure which will make me independent of earning a livelihood. He has in fact done that for some of his slaves. So again, this is a ridiculous statement because we know that we need to do things in order to bring about results. And here Imam Ujawi points us to a, a beautiful a delil or a proof for this. And he mentions from Surat Maryam, uh, where it's said here, yes, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made a method for everything for a human being to acquire. 
Um, and of that method, there is a cause and a way of doing things. So there is a, a cause, a sabab, and a tariq, a, a way in which a person acquires for themselves what they are seeking to acquire. And he says that this is indicated to in Surah Maryam, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and shake the tree. So this is after she's given birth to Nabi Isa alayhi salam. And of course she was very weak and she needed some nourishment and sustenance. So Allah inspired her with the words to shake the trunk of the nakhla of the date palm tree and it will uh, lower and have cast upon you some of its fresh and ripe dates and so he says here Imam Ujawi that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completely capable of uh, giving Sayyidatna Maryam alayhi salam fresh dates and sustenance without her shaking the tree except that Allah is the one who makes things happen in a certain way according to a particular method. So this is cause and effect. So you have to do something in order for the effect or the result of that to come into being. And this is this particular ayah is one of the Quranic proofs that is used for the karamat of the saints. So for the miracles of the saints because they do something, they take a particular action and then the result from that is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings into being. And so, of course, Sayyidina Maryam was very weak. And how could she muster the strength after having given birth to shake a whole tree? So this is given to her as a proof of the miracle um, that she had indeed just experienced and was still experiencing now as the mother of Nabi Isa And so Allah enabled that to come into being for her to muster the strength and shake the tree and be sustained. Then there is a poetry verse here. Um, Alam tara anna Allah qala li Maryama wa huzzi ilayki jid'a tusaqita rutub wa law sha'a anhal jid'a min ghayri hazziha walakin hazzu jid'i kana huwa sababi. So again, didn't you see how Allah said to Maryam, um, shake towards you the tree and it will um, drop upon you the fresh dates. And if Allah wanted for the tree to bow down or to, to give her without being shaken, then he, I mean, it means here that he could have allowed that. However, the shaking of the tree, that was the sabab, that was the cause for that happening to her. So again, the poetry there reinforcing uh, what we know and being another expression of that. We'll just go over here. This is the last page. So Imam Ghazali says that when you hear the statements of the two men, you consider them as fools. So the one who thinks he'll get knowledge and wealth without doing anything, and you mock them even though their description of God's generosity and power is true and correct. In the same way, men or people of insight laugh at you when you hope for God's forgiveness without making any effort uh, for it. And so uh, he quotes a couple of eyes. So man will have nothing but that for which he strives. Assuredly, you will be requited with that which you used to do. Verily, the pious will be in the delight of paradise and the wicked in hell. If you do not, while still relying on God's generosity, give up efforts to acquire knowledge and wealth, 
You should likewise not give up making provision for the hereafter and not becoming remiss. And then we get to one of the main points. The Lord of this world is the Lord of the next. And in both, he is generous and merciful. His generosity does not increase through your acts of obedience. And this is really important to learn because Allah, whether we do the right thing or not, that doesn't interfere or hinder or stop his generosity. But his generosity consists in his making it easy for you the way of arriving at the everlasting and eternal kingdom through patience in setting desires aside for a few days. So that, as he says, this is the highest degree of generosity. Okay, so it's not about how much you do, but it's about the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is enabling you to do these things. And there's a story here that's mentioned from the Bani Israel uh, where one of the worshippers had passed away. And so he was seen in a dream after that where he was standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having his deeds weighed. And Allah looked at his deeds and he ordered for him to be taken to paradise by his ni'mah. Okay, so by Allah's blessing and a good will towards this person he said take him to paradise and the man jumps up and says no I don't want to go to paradise out of your blessing upon me I want to go to paradise because I worshipped you for 500 years and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, ordered for his deeds to be weighed against the ni'mah the blessing of the person's eyesight and so then the person's eyesight, or rather the blessing of that person's eyesight, far outweighed the 500 years of deeds, outweighed the person's deeds um, by far. And so the point of the story is that it's not by your deeds that you will be blessed and you will be given paradise, but it's only by the generosity and the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And um, Imam Ghazali says, so do not repeat to yourself the statements of those who are frivolous, but follow the people of resolution and prudence. And by that he means, and he says in the text, be ulul azam. So the ulul azam are the five prophets who are Nabi Ibrahim, Nabi Nuh, Nabi Musa, Nabi Isa, and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi who are the ones who had the greatest dedication and motivation. So they're called the Ulul Azam. So if you hear that, you know that it refers to five of the Anbiya. And it also refers to those of great intelligence and intellect who are able to realize these realities that Allah is the one who gives us the possibility of acting, blesses us with that possibility and actually enables and facilitates uh, through his great generosity and bounty for that to happen for us for us to act like that so to turn away from that is the ultimate in ingratitude and is the ultimate in wickedness against ourselves because it shows that we haven't understood anything so the thing is that we know that we don't depend on our deeds but we do them out of shukr and gratefulness for what Allah has facilitated for us and inshallah the good results of them we will reap um, here and of course in the next life inshallah just at the end there he says do not long to reap that which you did not sow would that all who fasted performed ritual prayer strove hard in the path of God and kept all his duties be forgiven and uh, we know too that people can spoil that for themselves 
uh, like the woman who passed away and she was uh, she used to uh, stay up all night pray all night and fast all the time and then the prophet Ali said about her she is from the people of the fire why because she used to harm her neighbor with her tongue so we can spoil things for ourselves as well even thinking that we might be doing the right thing then finally the sins mentioned above which would be everything that we've covered in this whole section are all those against which you should guard the outward limbs of your body the acts of these limbs emanate from the qualities of the heart and this is kind of the elephant in the room in a way because where we know that we know that um, and then in the red that if then you want to guard your limbs against sins you must purify your heart and this is through inward piety so this is now introducing us to the next section where we will look at the transgressions of the heart and we know and as Imam Ghazali says that the heart is the part of you the soundness of which leads to the soundness of the whole body so be engaged in making it sound in order that your limbs may be sound so Imam Ujawi tells us here that the heart is like a vessel so if it's filled um, with the haq so if it's filled with the haq with the truth then it what manifests is an is a an increase in light on the limbs and if it's filled with what is wrong and invalid and uh, filthy then uh, what becomes manifest on the limbs is an increase in darkness and then he says that so the the qalb the heart is a piece of flesh so if it is rectified and what does that mean for a heart to be rectified it means to be rectified with iman and ilm so faith and knowledge wal irfan ma'rifah so knowing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so if it's rectified with these qualities then the rest of the body is rectified in terms of the deeds and states and what either facet and if it is corrupted and that would be through rejection or turning away um, and ungratefulness then then the rest of the body is also um, corrupted through wicked through wickedness and through sin and then he has a couple of sort of uh, metaphors here one of them is that um, the heart is like the earth and that the movement of the body is like plants or uh, crops or vegetation and then he quotes an ayah so the ground or good ground good earth um, what comes from it is uh, plants like good vegetation or good crops by the permission of its lord and that uh, meaning that ground which is khabutha which has become sort of rotten and vile and infertile so what comes from it is nothing except that which is itself rotten and spoiled and of no good quality and he also says here that um, the heart is like a spring like a spring of water and the body is like the crops 
So if the spring water is pure and sweet and fresh, then the crops will also be pure and sweet and fresh. And if the spring water is salty, then the crops will come out with a salty taste or a saltiness as well. So finally he says, um, so uh, busy yourself with the rectification of your heart so that your limbs will be rectified. Um, so the only way to achieve that is through maintaining muraqaba, um, so uh, keeping a vigilant watch over yourself and being aware of what you do. And then the final piece of advice that he gives here is that the rectification of the heart is in five matters. And this comes from Imam Ujawi. And he says that the first is in kathratul jua so in um, being hungry so we went through the stomach last time so not um, not giving in every time to desire for hunger or just wandering off mindlessly into the kitchen and opening the fridge and uh, opening the cupboard and having a few biscuits because they just happen to be there but um, keeping yourself um, humble and in a the nafs in a lower state by not feeding it all the time and not feeding that uh, desire all the time for food and reading the Quran so reading the Quran with contemplation of its meaning and and uh, voluntary prayers or um, any type of voluntary worship and du'as with crying which is the time of being awake before Fajr, so the last part of the night. Uh, so praying in the night. And uh, being in the company of pious people. And then this has been summed up in some poetry as well. And then Imam Ujawi says at the end, and um, he says sort of quite humbly, oh, I've added another line. So he says, you know, I've also... Um, uh, made or uh, written here a poetry line where he adds to those five things and he says Aklul halali, so eating halal food was samtu uzlatun wa kada so samt is silence and uzla is withdrawing or some moments and periods of isolation wa kada tarku li hawdin bimalin nasi min siyari and also are leaving or not indulging or going into um, what happens to people in their lives. So not allowing yourself to become busy with other people's business. So inshallah that's the end of this particular section alhamdulillah and next week inshallah we will go into the section on the transgressions of the heart. So Imam Ghazali looks at three in particular three aspects which are envy, ostentation, and ujub, which is uh, vanity and being pleased and amazed by yourself. Jazakumal khair for your attendance. Inshallah, please uh, forgive my shortcomings. And I look forward to gathering with you again next week. Bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.